my friend. Welcome to another edition of my podcast, Love Someone with Delilah. Now, when we started doing these podcasts, we kind of had a hidden agenda. It's not hidden at all. It's it's a very open agenda. And that is, I wanted to talk to people. I want to interview people. I want to hear from people who are using their gifts and their talents and their skills to change the world one heart at a time. See, I believe, and and I know a lot of people do not share the same faith I have, and that's okay, but I believe that we are created beings, that we're not accidents, and that each of us is created with a unique mixture of talents and skills unlike anyone else on the planet. Even if you're an identical twin, even if you share identical DNA, your personality is unique to you. There is nobody else exactly like you alive today, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be. And as scientists and and people collect more and more DNA, they're proving that to be true, that that we're very, very similar in like 99% of our makeup, but very, very, very different and unique. When you take your gifts, talents, and skills and use them to make the world a better place, it is completely magical. There is nobody like you. There will never be anyone like you. You are unique. You are precious. And you have something to share with the world. I don't know what that something is. I'm guessing you may not know or how to use it. And this podcast series, Love Someone, is meant to encourage you to A, Figure out what your gift is or gifts, multiple gifts, and B, figure out where that talent, that gift, that skill intersects with the world's great need. Today on this podcast series, I'm catching up with a doctor, Jordan Caslo, and Rabbi Jennifer Krause. Uh, Jennifer started out being a patient of Dr. Jordan. Together, they have offered a book that was my May Book Club pick, Dare to Matter, Your Path to Making a Difference Now. So everything I was just talking about, figuring out how to take your uniqueness and use it to make the world a better place, well, they wrote a whole book about that. And we're going to talk to them in a minute and find out how Jordan discovered how to use his gift to change the world for good. But before we start this this conversation, before we get into the meat of Dare to Matter, I'm going to share with you the folks who make this podcast possible. We want to give a shout out to our podcast sponsor, The Home Depot. I stinking love The Home Depot. I spend so much time there. They make painting any room of our home or every room of your home, if you're really ambitious, that much easier. 
This time of year, you can have every window in your home wide open to let the paint dry with the summer breeze. Visit the Home Depot's paint department. You'll get a colorful new experience there. From picking colors to simulating what your finished rooms might look like. And every person I've ever met in the Home Depot's paint department is extremely friendly. They want you to have a great experience. The Home Depot, more saving, more doing. Today on Love Someone, I'm catching up with Dr. Jordan Casalo and Rabbi Jennifer Krause, authors of uh, a book that was in our book club in May, Dare to Matter, Your Path to Making a Difference Now. Dr. Jordan, I'm just going to call you Jordan. That's fine. So I don't <laughs> butcher your name and Rabbi Krause. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to come down to uh, the fancy schmancy iHeart Studios. Aren't these amazing? This is quite a setup you got It here. is. It is. A little different from the studio I normally work out of. Uh, I wanted to meet with you guys in person. I mean, we were going to do this over the phone, but Deanna set it up so we could meet in person because I think it is so important, the message in your book and the message in your lives, which is dare to matter now. Don't put it off. Don't, don't wait until you have all your ducks lined up before you step out of your comfort zone and make a difference. And the whole reason I have this podcast, Love Someone, is because that's my whole message is right now, today, yesterday, we need people to care and to matter and to invest their heart into whatever it is that they're called to invest their heart into. But so many people I know are like, well, when I get everything lined up, when I, you know, when my career takes off, when my kids are grown when my house is paid off, when I get a house, when I'm not in a blah, 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 blah. Uh, and your book is so inspirational in that you're saying, no, now is the time to care. And and I love that each chapter ends on a dare. So we're going to talk, Jordan, about how you got in, involved and invested. Jen, how he brought you on board to tell the story and to help write the story and what your hope of your passion is for uh, getting people off their couch and out of their comfort zone and into projects that really matter. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's Thank wonderful you. to be with you. It's good to be with you. So Jordan, how, how did you find your mission in life of providing vision for people in developing countries? Because that's, that's what vision, that's what your, your mission is, yes? Correct. That's what Vision Spring is all about. And the story was a somewhat circuitous one, like most of our stories. It started in an unlikely place in the northern reaches of Alaska. I was 23 years old. I was a mountain climber. And there I was climbing a mountain, rain slashing my face. And as I got to the top of this incredible mountain, the world unfolded in front of me and was conspiring to tell me that I didn't matter, that I had no significance. And I hated that message as a 23-year-old. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that is not what I expected uh, th that message to be, that you didn't matter. When you're in such an incredible wilderness, you feel insignificant sometimes. And so I had that feeling, or the, I had the feeling the universe was telling me that. But as a 23-year-old person, I rebelled against that notion. And I remember screaming at the wind, saying that I did matter. Fact of the matter, though, was I didn't really know how. So I came down from the mountain with a different mindset, though that it didn't matter what I did, but that I was going to make a difference in the world, that my life was going to be dedicated 
to making a difference in the world, whatever chosen path it was. Six months later, fast forward, I had, uh, I had uh, started my training as an eye doctor, and I joined an organization that brought eye care to underserved populations in Latin America. And my first patient was a seven-year-old boy, and he was from the School for the Blind. He thought he was blind. Everyone thought he was blind. And when we looked at his eyes, we realized all he needed was a really strong pair of eyeglasses. And when I put those glasses on his face and he saw for the first time, it was a moment that changed both of our lives. I gave him his vision. He gave me mine. As Mark Twain says, the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. And that was the day that I found out why. Seeing this little boy come to life, realizing that he wasn't indeed blind, but that with a pair of corrective lenses he would be able to see, sets you on a path that has led you to some pretty interesting places. How many countries have you worked in? I've worked in over 40 countries, and I've visited over 70. Uh, We have, at Vision Spring, established an organization that can really go wherever the need is. And unfortunately, the need of this issue area is huge. There are over a billion people in the world who are visually impaired or blind, not because of a terrible eye disease, but just because they need a simple pair of eyeglasses, a pair of glasses that we know we can source in China for between 50 cents and a dollar and a half, a pair of glasses, the technology of which is over 700 years old, but yet a billion people on this planet still have visual impairment or blindness because they don't have access to something so simple. So Vision Spring is trying to right that wrong and fix that injustice by creating business models that provide eye care services and low-cost eyeglasses to people who earn between $1 and $4 a day. So that begs the question, why am I wearing a pair of glasses that cost over $200? That's a whole other story. <laughs> one that we're going to get into or one that you're not allowed to talk about? I can talk about it, no, no problem. A lot of the fact, uh, a lot of the reason a pair of glasses costs so much is because, in a way, glasses have been almost over-manufactured. They have expensive brand names on them. They have very high-end plastics and materials, both in the frames and the lenses. And so the glasses that you wear are very different in terms of material than the ones that we sell, although the ones that we sell are equally as functional. So we've basically almost reverse-engineered the glasses, stripped out all of the unnecessaries that uh, have driven the cost up to four or $500 and have brought the product back down to a level where the average person who earns two, three dollars a day can buy them. So you're in 40 countries now and tell me what you told me about the little seven-year-old boy who gave you the vision of what your life was going to be. Uh, Then what happened after that? How did you say, how did you go from eye student, you know, learning to be an eye doctor to changing the lives of millions of people. Well, when we returned to Boston after that experience, we Were you going to school in Boston? I was in, yes, I was in optometry school in Boston. So headed back to Boston and did some research and realized that that boy was not alone. And I shared the statistics already with your listeners. Over a billion people needed a pair of glasses. And so started to think about, well, how can, how can we change that? Because having a group of eye doctors going down for a week although our intentions were pure to serve people, it wasn't very scalable, it wasn't very sustainable, and so we needed different ways to to approach the problem. And so 
after graduating from school, I volunteered a year of time to work in India. And I worked at an eye hospital called the Aravind Eye Hospital because I wanted to learn from people who were basically creating sustainable, scalable eye care solutions. And this hospital was becoming famous for doing that. They employed what we call compassionate capitalism. So they used the power of the market. They used the power of capitalism, but for social purpose and good. Two-thirds of the services that they delivered were at, at no or very low cost, and one-third was at normal or high cost for the richer people, and there was a cross-subsidization model. So I saw that as a really powerful model. And I also saw in working uh, across the world that what people needed more than anything was opportunity and started to, to note that a lot of people who we were serving were falling out of the workforce because they couldn't see to, to work. As they got into their 40s, their near vision started to fail. So as weavers, tailors, artisans, people who required their eyes and hands to earn a living, they were starting to fall out of the workforce. On the flip side, we also identified that there were a lot of people who were underemployed or unemployed. So, so my kind of light bulb moment was, well, why can't we just train those local people who want to work and want opportunity to be self-reliant, train them on how to screen for vision problems, sell the simple eyeglasses that you or I could buy at CVS, which represents half of the problem in the world, half the people in the world who need glasses, just need the kind that you can buy over the counter in the drugstore. Readers. Readers. As that I have call. way too many pair of because I buy them and lose them and find them. Exactly. And so those readers, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. And we created a training program where we could train a local person, whether they had fourth grade education or eighth grade education, on how to screen for presbyopia, determine what power the screen person for, needed. Wait, 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 back up. Oh, screen I'm sorry. for what? Screen for presbyopia, which is the inability to focus up close so that that's the condition that you need readers for. So, if so screen for 40, if you're over the age of 40. Screen for if you're over the age of 40 and you can't see up close. Because <laughs> I went to, to the doctor. I was 42 and I said, I don't understand. I've had perfect vision my entire life. I could see I can see eagles flying in the sky. You can see the prey they have in their claws. <laughs> I can't see the menu. Right. He said, how old are you? I said, 42. He goes, aha. Uh-huh. Did the start two years ago. So you were one of the... It's the, like a magic number. You hit 4-0 and your eyes go. Ex- exactly. But you were privileged to be able to solve that problem. So yes. we trained these people how to sell these simple readers. Uh, and so that was, the con- that was the original light bulb moment. Why couldn't we train these local people to start small jobs selling eyeglasses to the, their neighbors who needed them to see? Creating, at an affordable price. At an affordable so price. So it's not impacting their life negatively. Correct. Creating livelihoods for the seller and sustaining livelihoods for the customer. So it was really an economic development program using a simple health product. So it was helping the economies and the individual lives of all these people, but using just the simple health product that hadn't been distributed in most parts of the world. Brilliant. And Jen, how did you get involved with this whole thing? Because your name is on the cover of this book, uh, Dare to Matter. How did you get involved? You've been so quiet, Rabbi. Well... I've, I've been I've been listening to my to my co-author here, which is uh, what what we've we've spent about six years doing from from inception of this uh, idea to to ISBN number of the book. Um, I was Jordan's patient for a decade. Um, Jordan, patient knew, as in checking your eyes and he, giving he, you a prescription. Exactly. Did he did he sell you the two dollar 
special <laughs> or did you do what I did and go through your insurance? Um, insurance uh, doesn't cover my glasses or my contact lenses. Uh, so I, I guess you hawk the lenses. You were out for of me. pay. You were out of pocket. I know, out of pocket <laughs> for ten years, um, and and still am. I went to see this guy last week, also because I was having trouble with my uh, with my near vision, and I needed. Interestingly, we've been working together. We see each other multiple times a week, especially now in the last the six book tour. weeks on the book tour. And I got a reminder from Jordan's office that. I had not had a regular eye exam in more than 18 months. So just a pro tip to, to your listeners, don't co-author a book with your optometrist or your vision <laughs> will actually suffer for it. Even though I've neglected my, my vision, working with Jordan uh, on, on this book has given me an entirely different vision. Uh, when you work closely with someone, especially around a topic like changing the world, it, it changes your mindset. And a lot of the book is about that as well. Uh, people think that in order to make a difference in the world, that they have to find a big, big problem and then they have to Or have solve a big, it. big degree. Or have a big degree or have a big bank account or have loads and loads of time. And it's Or have a platform. I mean, you're a rabbi. You or, have a pretty big platform. Or have a platform. But the fact of the matter is that it's about really looking into the heart of who you are and then letting what is at the heart of who you are radiate into the world. And so it's very simple things. It's, it's simple questions you ask yourself daily. It's checking in with yourself and, and really not making big tectonic shifts in your life. But it's about constantly aligning your life with your highest vision for what you want your life to be and what you want to stand for. What's the legacy that you want to leave behind when, when you leave this earth. I heard someone say one time, it is far better to leave a legacy than an inheritance. Mm. And I took that to heart. So my kids are going to be really sad when I die. Because uh, <laughs> they, they're going to discover that the inheritance went into feeding children uh, while I was here. But I think that's so true. It's so important to leave a legacy of love. We, Not just a legacy, because some people can leave a negative legacy or a legacy of wealth, or a legacy of fame, but to leave a legacy of love. Amen. Yeah, is... it's an incredible thing. I, I remember watching um, the Bruce Springsteen on, on Broadway came, came to Netflix, and he talked about something I haven't been able to forget. He talked about choosing whether you're going to be a ghost or an ancestor, right? And Ooh. it was, I, I can't take credit, thank you, the boss. The That's boss. Why he's the boss. That's, well, that and, you know, the ripped jeans. And, and, and that. the music that just rocks your soul. And then, of course, having a Broadway show that also completely rocks your soul. It was, he was just telling stories about why he wrote the music that, that he's written and what was going on in his life. And that, do you want to be a ghost or do you want to be an ancestor? Ancestors let the people that follow them stand in their light. Ghosts haunt you. <laughs> right? That's and so good. It's super powerful. And I think, you know, a, a lot of us are trained to start thinking about legacy when we're older. So I'm 47. Um, last week at my eye exam, I, I said to Jordan, I think it might be time for readers. And, and Jordan, being the optimist, said, 
you know what? Hang in there. We're going to keep fighting the good fight. So no readers this go round. But people don't often tend to think about the legacy that they're going to lead until they're sort of at, at our point in life and, and kind of at the midpoint and thinking further down the road and if they have children. Uh, but we really encourage people to start thinking about legacy when you're young because death is a part of life and we all have a finite amount of time to be here on this earth. Our lives are precious and unprecedented, as Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, once said, our lives are so precious and we are not in control of how much time we have, but we are in control of, of what we want our name to stand for, what kind of work we want to do in the world, and the way that we want people to think about us when, when we're gone. And there's nothing morbid about that. That's just about being human and it helps us align our lives with that highest vision that we have for ourselves. Dr. Casalo and Rabbi Kraus, thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to sit down with me in the studio today. I want to continue this conversation after a quick acknowledgement to one of our podcast sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm talking to Dr. Jordan Casalo and Rabbi Jennifer Kraus about their book, Dare to Matter. We're going to continue our conversation now. So each one of the 10 chapters in the book ends with a dare. Share some of the dares with our listeners, the simple things that, that they can do to step out of their comfort zone. You know, the average American 
watches eight hours of television a day. Exactly. So think about one of the dares is we dare people to, to take an inventory of their, of their days and of their time over the course of a week and then over the course of a month and do it in this simple way. At the end of the day, ask yourself, what did I do today that really needed me? What did I do today that really fed me, that nourished my being? The things that don't really, really need you, you don't need to be doing. The things that aren't feeding your soul doesn't mean that we don't have have-tos in our life, right? We have commitments and responsibilities. It doesn't matter whether we like it, don't like it. That's life, and that's being a grown-up. But there are things that we do without being aware of it that really do eat up our time. So if we take stock of how we're spending our days and our weeks and our months, we might be able to take a little bit of that time that we're doing things that don't need us, don't really, really need us and don't feed us and repurpose it. Imagine what we could do with those eight hours. Eight hours. Well, I know what I do with those eight hours. People are like, wow, how do you have a farm and how do you raise kids and how do you have a career? How do you juggle it all? I said, I don't watch TV. I don't spend hours on social media because time is more precious than money. Time is more precious than money. And I don't see anybody taking, you know, $20 bills and lighting them on fire and and just letting the ashes go in the wind. You hang on to that. And yet we, we just, we burn through our hours doing stuff, like you said, that doesn't need us, doesn't feed us, but entertains us. Yeah, one of the other dares, which we hope will help people get away from that mindset is what we call to develop your central narrative, which is what do you want your life to stand for? And so as I was thinking through, through my life, my central narrative really boiled down to the essence of our book, which is that I wanted my life to be rich with family, and I wanted to be able to provide my family with the same um, things that my folks provided me with, which was a good education, a safe home, and a nice life. But I also wanted to live for something bigger than myself so that I could leave the world a better place because I was in it. And my central narrative was the challenge of how to integrate those two very human needs into one life. So by having a central narrative, you force yourself to think about what's really important to you and to hold on to that no matter what. Uh, We also talk about it in the book as sort of finding your thread. So the wind may blow and you may be blown away from that thread, but always hold on to it because life can get tough. But you, if you have a central narrative and a common thread and a North Star, things that you know really stand for, what you want your life to stand for, then you'll never get off course. So early on in your life, think about what your central narrative is. Why are you here? What kind of change do you want to make in the world? What kind of person do you want to be? Who do you want to be remembered as? Uh, and that, that's a, another dare that we have in the book. So how can somebody figure that out? You're 22, you're 23, you're going to college or you're in the military or you're starting a new family or you're overwhelmed with a baby. How do you look inside and figure out what your truth is or what your, you call it central narrative, what your soul is saying, who you are and what your mission is? For you, it was climbing a mountain. Yeah, although it was in climbing those mountains and having the luxury, if you will, of being in silent places for extended periods of time 
that I learned how to listen to my deep inner voice and to discover myself and to really discover what's important to me. And Jen and I talk about this, that there is sort of a crisis of people losing connection with that inner voice. And often if you're not listening to what your deep self is telling you, you end up getting the wrong life because you start asking the wrong questions. And so how can you try to... It scares me. I have to be honest. It scares me how many young women are only listening or focusing on their selfies on social media and comparing themselves to other uh, beautiful women or airbrushed women. Uh, And it seems like their whole focus is on being cute, being adorable, posing, taking pictures. How how is a, a, a parent, a society... Can we help steer them away from that outer voice that's screaming lies and help them to hear that inner voice that I believe is God speaking to us, you know, through that, through your heart, through your soul? Beautifully said. Exactly right. I think we spend a lot of time and it's not even, it's not even just kids, although I'm, I'm so grateful that I didn't grow up. In, in a time of social media. Yeah, me too, because, oh boy, would there be a lot of stuff posted. We- that- <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, how do you think I can relate to so many people on my show each night? It's not because, you know, I didn't ever take a walk on the wild side. <laughs> we all need to do that. and we, we need to explore. And I actually think uh, kids, even though they can see so much more of the world than than we were able to see because of social media, they they actually aren't doing much exploring. They're doing a lot of observing, watching, gazing, and imitating. And that's the part I think that, that can be so toxic because they're suddenly chasing after lives that aren't necessarily the life that they want. And they're not necessarily the life that they are meant to lead, created, to lead. And one of the things that's really important is something that we call preparing your heart. Preparing your heart is just believing that the meaning in life isn't somewhere out there in the universe and you're suddenly trying to find it, acquire it. We come hardwired with with meaning. Amen. That is so true. Every human being born is hardwired with gifts. A hundred percent. And talents and, and skills. And when we're not plugged into it and when we're not activating it, we're anxious, we're depressed, we feel less than. When we understand that it is as close to us as our very insides and all we have to do is just unlock that, that chamber of meaning inside of ourselves it completely changes the way we walk through the world, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about other people, the way we feel about our lives. And so in a way, when we unlock that and then we find also the peace that tells us what the world needs from us, what, what the world needs from you and me and everyone that is totally unique from somebody else, when we find it and we're drawn outside of ourselves through action to do something for other people, by healing the world, we, we start healing ourselves. It's true. When you focus on somebody else, somebody else's need, 
and you use your energies to make the world a better place, your world suddenly becomes a much better place. There's a great um, story in inherited Jewish tradition that we're supposed to have a note in, in each pocket. In one pocket, it says, I am but dust and ashes. Okay, that's the humility of, of being a human being is we're, we're mortal. In the other pocket, you should have a little piece of paper that reads, the world was created for me. That's the I matter pocket. And, and that's why when Jordan told me that story about his, he calls it his dust in the wind moment. Now, there's some people who are listening. Do you remember that Kansas song? Do I remember the Kansas song? How many it, times like, have it, I played the sing Kansas song? Sing it awkwardly, Kansas right? Yeah. Dust yeah. in the wind. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when Jordan told me that, I instantly thought of that two pockets, two pockets. I am but dust and ashes and the world was created for me. And sometimes we really, we, we need to reach into that pocket a little more. When the world is telling us, hey, you're, you're dust in the wind. You are dust and ashes. That we need to go, uh-uh, because I've got this note in the other pocket, and it says, the world was created for me, and I'm going to do something while I'm here. You just wait. You, you just, just wait. watch. Also, as you prepare your heart, there's a better chance that as you develop inward, the outside world is going to start to conspire to help you find your purpose and meaning. So when I was on that mountaintop in Alaska, I came down with a prepared heart. I was looking. I was almost like an antenna to try to figure out how I could matter, how I could make my life meaningful. And when I met that seven-year-old boy, if I didn't come to him with that hunger, it might have just been a cool story that I was telling to people, but it wouldn't have fundamentally changed the direction of my life. It was a message, that moment, that miracle of meeting that boy was a message for a prepared heart. Is And my heart was that antenna that was looking for that miracle. And so going, walking through the world with a prepared heart will also increase your chances of finding purpose and meaning in the world. So preparing your heart, getting alone, being quiet, turning off distractions, figuring out what your passions are. Do you like to sew? Do you like to paint? Do you like to read? Do you like to do you like animals? Are you passionate about, you know, helping animals? What are your passions? And then how does somebody uh, take that first step to say, okay, I'm ready. I I think that I was meant to teach, or I believe I was meant to help young children who are stuck in the foster care system. I think I'm meant to mentor young men so they don't end up in prison. Uh, I'm a recovering addict of whatever, and I think I'm supposed to help young people to navigate their life so they don't fall into drugs or alcohol or pornography. How do you take that first step? What is your advice to somebody who has a prepared heart? They think they know what their passion is. Now what do they do with it? Well, that is already the, the, it's the first step and the second step, which is start where you are. Grow where you're planted. Grow where you're planted. You determine what your, what are your talents? What are your essential gifts? Then if you've identified the, the problem, if you, if you've identified that thing that, that pulls at your heart, that makes you come alive more than any other thing, Get really close to that problem. Learn everything that you can about it. Look in your existing community, your family members, your coworkers, your friends. Start talking about how much you care about this issue. And they might know someone. Who knows someone? 
who can connect you to a place where you can start putting your essential talents and gifts to work on that problem and just keep drilling down until you find that that particular part of the knot that you can take apart and and unravel and it's as long as you're dreaming in the light which is something else that we talk about in the book find partners you don't have to change the world all by yourself and as a matter of fact you you can't can't. (laughs) you cannot change the world all by yourself so dream in the light just start talking to people one of our dares also is you know the bit where you go and you meet someone for the first time and you use instead to sort of fill the awkward silence um, that that many of us have when, when we meet a new person. We'll say, so what do you do? Right. And what we mean is, well, what do you do to make a living? But we're not talking about what do you do to make a life? So we dare people the next time that someone says, so what do you do that you answer? I'm trying to matter and then kind of see where the conversation takes you. And the next time you feel yourself getting ready to say, oh, so what do you do? Instead, say, if you could solve any problem in the world, what would it be? And I think we'd be surprised if we just shift our conversations, our interactions with each other. Um, we, We might even start feeling more connected to the people right in our midst we might be able to team up with people and, and start working on that problem that's, that's really animating our spirit and telling us, hey, this is your work. This is the thing you were meant to do. Can you imagine if when you got on a plane, people said, what do you do that matters? Or what are you doing to make the world a better place instead of what do you do for a living? You'd certainly have more interesting conversations. We no doubt believe that. Well, I'm so um, passionate about Point Hope, the the charity that I started almost 20 years ago, that people don't even have a, a chance to talk about anything else when I sit down next to them on a plane. It's like, you're going to hear about Point Hope, and I'm going to figure out how I can use your gifts to help kids. Uh, and I've met some amazing people. One of our board members was sitting next to me on a plane and, you know, found out she had all sorts of connections and she has children and she's passionate about children. I'm like, OK, we are so going to tap into you because <laughs> uh, that's how you build. That's how you grow. That's dreaming in the light. That's how you do it. And and it also takes down another problem that we have in in our country and really in the world. We are a hyper connected society and we're the least connected to each other than we've ever been. Right. The, the, the suicide rate in the United States is the highest it's been in half a century. We have a loneliness epidemic. Imagine what we could do if we could just connect to each other on our most basic human level, which is we all want to do something to make the world a better place. You, wouldn't, you couldn't run into another person who, if you really sat down, whether it's on a plane or a train or it's in a a coffee shop, you can even be with someone you've known for a long time, but you don't really talk about these things. Imagine how much more connected we would feel if we we just started talking about how we want to make a difference. It would remind us that we have so much more in common than than we do uh, things that separate us. Very, very true. So you're in how many countries, 40 countries now? 
we've distributed glasses to over 40 countries. When we started that first year, uh, we helped 800 people, and then it went to 8,000, then 80,000, then 800,000, and this year we'll serve over 1.4 million people uh, in 23 countries. That is awesome. If somebody wants to get involved with Vision Spring, if they're like, okay, I'm not an eye doctor, but my my, my father was blind, hmm. so how can I, what can I do in my community or what can I do to further this project? How would they get in touch with you and what could they do? Well, they can always get in touch with me directly uh, by email. It's, it's jordan.casolo at visionspring.org. And we're interested in people helping in any way we can. As Jen said, we have to dream in the light. We have to bring all people into this problem. It's a billion-person problem. We need as many hands on deck as possible. And people can get involved in a whole slew of different ways, from as simple as it costs us less than $5 to serve each person with a pair of glasses. So you can put a pair of glasses on a child's face in Ghana or in India or Vietnam, for less than $5. So if with a $5 donation, we can help one person. With a $100 donation, we can help a whole classroom of children. With a $1,000 donation, we can help a whole school. So, so what if we... somebody says, I don't have any money to donate, I'm living on a budget, but I want to help? So whatever their skills may be, if they're a writer, they can write an article about Vision Spring in their local newspaper, or they can tell their, f- their friends on social media about the organization. They can help spread the word. Did you know that the leading cause of visual impairment in the world is that people just don't have a pair of eyeglasses. And did you know that eyeglasses really only cost a dollar? And if they can help just spread that message far and wide, that is a great service and a great help to our organization. Because most people don't know that. They don't even think about it. Yeah, you don't think about it. There's so many things we don't think about. We don't think about the fact that there are 497,000 kids in foster care in America Mm. and that only 5% will ever be adopted. We don't think about that. We don't think about the fact that 80% of the boys in foster care for 18 months or longer will end up in prison, that we're just sending them from one horrible, horrible situation to uh, an institution and they'll never have a chance at at a good life. We don't think about that because we're busy. We're too busy to think about it, but we need to think about these truths. When we have time, I'd love to introduce you to a friend of mine, Ned Breslin, who's one of the most dynamic social entrepreneurs uh, addressing the foster care situation. He's brilliant, and you would love him. I would love him. Well, thank you so much for being here, for writing Dare to Matter. Uh, You guys are, are wonderful, and I pray that people take the dares. I hope they read the book, and I hope that each chapter they they, they do the dares and that we can get a whole nation, a whole world of people using their gifts to change the world one heart at a time. Amen to that. A big amen. Thank what, you so much. Yeah, thank thank you. you. That's exactly why we wrote the book. That's why I wrote my book. Then that's why you wrote my sister's like, oh my gosh, sis, you got to read this book. You got to meet these people because they're, they're doing it. They're, they're changing the world for good. And they're inviting other people to change the world for good. And I love the fact that uh, that you recognize uh, that each person has a unique gift, a unique gift, and that maybe, you know, yours is vision, mine is children. For some people, it's animals, you know, sea creatures, whales, whatever it is, dare to make a difference. Step out, you know, on faith and say, okay. 
what can I do? How can I, how can I clean up the environment? How can I leave a, a smaller carbon footprint? How can I raise my children to be more loving, more engaged? How can I get them off social media and into nature? Everybody's got a different gift, and I love that you you talk about that in the book and that you invite people to figure out what that is. Well, we've all been created in the image of God. This is what we learn in Genesis, which is a sacred text to multiple religions. It, it transcends everything that divides us. We're created in, in the image of God, which means that we all have a spark of the divine in us. And we Isn't that all, amazing? It, it is amazing. Imagine, just wake up in the morning and have that be the first thing that you think. The world was created for me. The world was created for me to use my uniqueness, my divinity, to change it. I've built this way. Just start your day that way and see, and see how it changes. We're all eternal beings wrapped in flesh. That blows my mind. You see them for what they truly are. When people call into my show, oh my gosh, so many people said, how can you still do this after so many years? Aren't you bored? I'm like, are you kidding me? Everybody's got such a fascinating story. It's uncovering the layers of that story that, that makes my job fun on the radio. That's because every single person you encounter is, is an event that will, you know, when they say one night only, we're all a one night only event. It's when, true. When we leave the earth, there will never again be a carbon copy of who we are. We, we are so essential to the life of this world because when we're gone, that one special ingredient, that one miracle that we bring, we take it with us. So we need to leave it here. So we need to use it. Use it. That's right. And we all have it. Well, I'm glad you climbed the mountain, Jordan. I'm glad that the earth screamed to you in its enormity. You do feel very small. Like when you fly in an airplane and you look down and first you can see the cars, then you can only see the buildings, then you, can, you can't see individuals and it can make you feel insignificant. I'm glad you screamed back, oh, I do matter. And I'm glad you found that that spark, that gift, that passion, and that you've changed the lives of over a million people by giving them the gift of sight. Well, thank, thank you, you for saying that. And thank you for being bold enough to, to partner with him and help him write the book. It was easy to do. It was easy to do because I was inspired by Jordan. I was inspired by Vision Spring. And, and those stories, but I also saw our story. I saw the human story in Jordan's story. And so, so my dare is that everybody listening to this podcast takes your dare and starts saying, what do you do that matters? What do you do that impacts the world? And when they're asked, how are you? Or what do you do? Or who are you? They answer from that divinity within them. And they say, I'm somebody that's changing the world by providing vision for kids in underdeveloped countries or kids right here in America. I'm somebody that cares about our planet. I'm somebody that cares about our public school systems that are failing our kids. I'm somebody that cares about foster kids, whatever it is that we start that conversation and start engaging in what really matters. That's a world I want to live in. All right. Thank you for being here. God bless you both on your journey. And you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And the book, 
Pick it up, Dare to Matter. It's available everywhere. Your path to making a difference now, and I love that now is italicized. I love that because we are not promised tomorrow. We can't go back and undo yesterday. We're, we're given this gift of today, and today we can all make a difference. Let's do it. Let's do it. Go team. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.